Mark 5.23.21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a, cr- a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored, implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be weighed so that she may be made well and live. And then down to 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James. Peter and James the bo- and James and John the brother of James. Then came they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping. Sorry. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when and when he sorry. Try this. And when and when he had entered he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? child is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him but he said to them but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were there with him and went in where the child was taking her taking her by the hand he said to her Talitha kum which means little girl arise Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they immediately, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them, and told them to give her something to eat. They never clapped for me, Scott. (laughs) Little girl, I say to you, arise. Why did Jesus speak this to Jairus' daughter? But this week, not to Robin Esther's daughter. 
Friends, if you're here visiting with us this morning, you've come at a time that's tender. Because we're a people in grief. For we've had a death in the family. On May 13th, a little girl entered this world. Her parents named her Dorothy. But in the chaos of her birth, a wonderful NICU nurse hurried, hurriedly said to Rob, my grandmother's name is Dorothy. We called her Dottie. Can I call her Dottie? Friends, you can call her Dorothy. You can call her Dottie. Or you might call her by another name. Beloved. Beloved. Because Dorothy was beloved of Robin Esther and Athena, beloved of her family, beloved of those who met her, and beloved even of those who had not yet met her. Because from the time that Rob and Esther said to us that they were expecting, she became a part of our family. And so we've come today grieving the loss of one of our own. On May 13th, a little girl entered this world. Friends, her body was beautiful, but it was broken. She's fearfully and wonderfully made, but as sin has broken this world and made so much not the way it's supposed to be, her body was not the way it was supposed to be. But friends, even more than any of the significant issues that Dorothy faced, more significant than any one of them, was the significant love that Dorothy experienced while she was here for these three weeks. Loved by Rob and Esther. Loved by all of us. Loved by God the Father, who called her precious daughter. Now, friends, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? For Rob and Esther, like Jairus that day, had sought out Jesus. Jairus, his daughter, was sick, and he sought out Jesus. He was looking for Jesus, and you know who I mean. The Jesus who can open the eyes of a blind man. He was looking for the Jesus who could say to the man with the crippled hand, reach out your hand, and that hand was restored. He was looking for the Jesus who could say to the lame man, stand up and walk, and his legs grew strong. Jairus went out looking for that Jesus. The Jesus who had the power to heal his daughter and make her whole again. Where was that Jesus? Well, Jairus thought that he'd found Jesus. Jairus thought that he had encountered Jesus, but Jesus didn't seem to move fast enough, did he? Jesus seemed to delay. He didn't seem to take Jairus' concerns and the concerns of his daughter seriously. Where was Jesus? Where was he? And we might be asking the same question today. Where was Jesus? Why didn't he respond? Friends, what do we do with a God who doesn't always respond the way we want him to? Or in the timetable that we want him to respond? What do we do with a God who doesn't always show up the way that we ask him to or when we ask him to? Friends, can we trust him? Can we trust Him? <laughs> I'm just going to share with you what I'm struggling up here to do. Because God, in His providence, has totally thrown me for a loop. Because the wrong notes were transferred to my iPad. 
So I'm doing this from memory as the Spirit leads this morning. So he must have something that he didn't want me saying or something that he wanted me to say. So although, because I think that what I said has some good stuff, Abigail, would you run down to my office and get my laptop and bring it up here for me? Thanks. Always check your technology before you step into the pulpit. But friends, what do we do with a God who doesn't show up? What do we do with a God who doesn't show up when we want Him to or how we want Him to? What do we do with that God? Well, Jesus is there and and Jairus receives the news that your daughter has died. And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't fear. Don't fear. Only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. And friends, maybe you're here today and you're in the midst of your own struggle. Maybe you've come here today. Is that, is that me? No? Technology is not my friend today. Maybe you've come here today and you're in the midst of your own trial. Maybe you've come here today and you're struggling. And Jesus brought you here just to hear that word. Do not fear. Do not fear. Only believe. That's not me. Is that the lapel, really? Oh, is the battery dying? Or am I losing connection? I guess we'll use this one. And I will simply be humbled as I try to figure out exactly what happened to all of the notes that I made for this morning. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Let's kill this because it's not working. And let's look at this phrase. Do not fear, only believe. Friends, that's where we live. Isn't that where we live most of our lives? Do not fear, only believe. You know, where did Jairus end up? He ended up in a place where he didn't know what had happened, how he'd gotten there, and he didn't know where he was going. And isn't that where we live most of our lives? We don't know how we got there, and we don't know where we're going. Jesus speaks into that, don't fear, only believe. And maybe you've actually come here this morning and you're in the middle of your own darkness. You don't have an explanation exactly how you got to where you are right now. And maybe you don't have an explanation or an idea of even where you're going now. But Jesus has brought you here to this service this morning just to hear him say those words. Do not fear, only believe. You know, again, in the death in our family, maybe it's brought up your own grief, family. You know, maybe... In mourning Dorothy's passing, it's brought up memories of the passing of your own daughter or your son, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, or another beloved. Maybe the the death of this infant has brought up the pain of your own miscarriage. Maybe confronted with the reality and uncertainty of death, it causes familiar sorrows and fears to arrive. Friends, Jesus has brought you here today. 
He has brought you here today to hear him speak the words that he spoke to Jairus that day. Do not fear, only believe. Will you and can you trust that God is good even when you don't get the explanations you want, even when you don't have the certainty you desire, even when you don't receive the healing that you need? Do not fear, only believe. Really? Oh. It's not me. It's this one? It's one of the other microphones. Seriously. Seriously. Is this one causing the problems? Testing, testing. Let's just roll with it. Thank you, Tim. I got a backup now. That's good. Oh, my goodness. So what does Jairus do? He does the only thing that he can do. The only thing that we can do, he follows Jesus, doesn't he? He's led back to his house, and, and Jesus marches right through the mourners that are gathered at Jairus' house, and he says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, Jesus walks in there. He doesn't say that these people are stupid. He's not saying that somehow they've mistaken a deep sleep for death, because, frankly, in that day and age, death was far more familiar and more immediate to them than it is to us today. These people were smart enough to tell the difference between a deep sleep and death. Jesus isn't confused either himself. This girl really is dead. What Jesus shows up at Jairus' house and says is he says, I've come to wake the dead. I've come to wake the dead. The one who has the power, as we read earlier in Mark's gospel, to calm the storm, the power over the forces of evil, the power over sickness and uncleanness, has the power to wake those who slumber in the sleep of death. But when the mourners hear him, what do they do? They do what you and I would have done. They laugh and they mock. But friends, I want you to note that Jesus doesn't take offense at their laughter and their mocking. Because he knows that laughter and mocking is a defense mechanism of desperate and frightened people. Friends, Jesus understands your fear and your doubt in the face of death and sickness. No one wants to admit our fear and our powerlessness in the face of sickness and death. So they mock and they laugh. But that doesn't stop Jesus. He continues on. He takes a select group with him into the darkness of the room. And a little girl who should be full of life and song. Instead, her body lies there, silent, still in lifeless. lifeless. And Jesus reaches down. Friends, he reaches down into the darkness of death itself. And he takes her hand and he lifts her back to life. And Mark records the original words that Jesus spoke that day in verse 41. Taking her by the hand, Jesus said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha kumi is no magical incantation. It's Aramaic. Little girl, I say to you, rise. And Jesus lifts this girl from the sleep of death, returns her to her family, returns her to her community. And this story is so beautiful and it is so powerful, but it might leave us struggling today. Because why wasn't this Dorothy's story also? In Children's Hospital in Boston this week, why didn't Jesus show up and speak these same words to her? Little girl, I say to you, rise. And friends, I can't answer that question for you. I don't know why Jesus didn't choose to speak those words to Dorothy four days ago. But I'm here today to proclaim to you what I do know. 
Friends, what I do know is the gospel, the good news, which we know with unassailable certainty. The good news is that one day Jesus will yet speak these words to Dorothy. Little girl, I say to you, rise. One day Jesus will reach down into the cold darkness of death. He will take Dorothy's hand and he will lift her back to life. Little girl, I say to you, rise. And friends, when Dorothy rises, she will be whole. For that will be the day that Christ returns and that he makes all things new. He will raise her up. Little girl, I say to you, rise. And in a sin-twisted world that twists our bodies, it'll be gone. Dorothy, hearing the voice of Jesus on that day, little girl, I say to you, rise. She will rise and her body will be completely new and whole. Her lungs will fill with air and she will sing for joy. Her beautiful blue eyes will open and she'll gaze upon a renewed creation. Her legs will grow strong so that she can run and dance. Friends, the gospel is that Jesus will yet say to Dorothy, little girl, I say to you, rise. And on that day, Dorothy's going to receive what she most needs. Not a miracle, but a resurrection. Not a miracle, but a resurrection. Because, friends, Dorothy's hope was never in a miracle. Her hope is in a resurrection. On the day that Jesus spoke to Jairus' daughter, as great as that day was, that little girl only received a miracle. That little girl rose to life, but she was still subject to sickness and to weakness and to sin. Her miracle didn't remove all of her infirmities or vulnerabilities. In fact, that little girl who was that day raised from the dead, one day died again. Jesus' daughter, Jairus' daughter, received a miracle. But friends, miracles are only temporary. Miracles are only temporary. The gospel is that Jesus came, died, and rose again on the third day, not just to give us miracles. He came to give us a resurrection. The good news is that for all who have been called and who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, one day we will hear him call each and every one of us, I say to you, arise. And on that day, friends, we will rise eternally new, no longer subject to sickness, weakness, and sin, no longer possessing infirmities, deformities, or vulnerabilities. We will rise eternally new. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Not just a temporary miracle, church, but an eternal resurrection. Friends, the truth is that we were never promised miracles in this life. But we are promised a resurrection to the next life. Jesus never promised he would always show up in this life and say, little girl, I say to you, arise. But he has promised one day to return and speak not just to us, but to all creation and say, I say to you, rise. And on that day the trumpet shall sound, the Lord shall return, and Christ shall speak. I say to you, rise, and all things will be made new. And the vision of that day in Revelation 21 gives us hope for today. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. All creation, I say to you, arise. Behold, I'm making all things new. And at that time, not just Dorothy, but all of us will receive the complete healing 
and the eternal renewal that we all so desperately need. This, friends, is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our hope. One day, Dorothy will hear, along with all who have trusted Christ, little girl, little boy, all of creation, I say to you, rise. But family, for all that hope in that day, it is not yet that day. It is not yet that day. And while we anxiously and eagerly await that day of hope, on this day, we mourn and we grieve because our loss is real and our loss is great. Robin Esther's loss is real and great in Chestnut Street family. As we grieve and we mourn together, I'd like to offer you some very practical advice. Some very practical advice about how it is that we comfort one another in our grief. If you join me for the live stream on Friday morning, you already heard me talk a little bit about this, but I feel like it bears repeating. I had read a great article on the Gospel Coalition website titled, How Not to Help a Sufferer, How Not to Help Them, by Pastor Gavin Ortland. You know, because the truth is we all want to help those who suffer, don't we? And while our impulses to help are pure, sometimes our actions unintentionally might cause more pain. And so I want us to help and not hurt. Pastor Ortland considers the example we're given by Job's friends. In the book of Job, it opens and it's traumatic. This man by the name of Job loses everything. His family, his home, his fortune, his health. And in the midst of his suffering, three friends show up to offer Job comfort. Hear these words from Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nahamathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. They sat on the ground with him, wept, and no one spoke a word. And if only they'd stayed there, it would have been a great comfort to Job. But for those that have read the book, they know that his friends just couldn't keep their mouths shut. In the next 35 chapters, they quite unhelpfully try to explain Job's suffering, vindicate God's actions, and correct Job's ways. Now, some of what Job's friends express over the course of the next chapters is true, but little of it is actually helpful to Job and his suffering. And that's the first point we want to consider. Friends, what is true is not always what's helpful to a sufferer. The Bible does teach that all things work together for good in Romans 8.28. Genesis 50 verse 20 in the account of Joseph teaches us that God can use evil for good and just because it's true doesn't mean it's always helpful or tactful to say to someone who's suffering. To a sufferer, instead of explaining the truth of God's providence over them, it's often more helpful to simply speak a prayer for God's presence with them. Bible band-aids may be true, but they're often trite. And only the presence of the great physician is helpful to bring complete healing. And secondly, friends, unlike Job's friends, we shouldn't look for the moral of the story. 
Yes, the New Testament does teach us that God uses suffering to produce godly character. Yet, when somebody's in the midst of suffering, it's probably not the time to emphasize that. Your hurting friend far more needs your love and presence than your interpretation or ideas. Friends, don't try to search for understanding. Simply be understanding. Don't try to explain. Simply sit with them in their pain. Because understanding has never taken away a single person's pain. Church, understanding has never taken away anyone's pain. Even if we understood why Dorothy's no longer with us, would that take away our pain? Friends, understanding cannot bring a loved one back. Understanding cannot bring us peace. Only Jesus brings us peace. So don't hunt for the reason for suffering. Point to Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering. And thirdly, friends, don't minimize. You know, we minimize out of a genuine desire because we want somehow to make the hurting person's pain less. However, when we minimize pain, we don't make the pain go away. We simply risk invalidating the sufferer. Because we say things like, well, it could have been worse. Or when somebody suffers evil at the hands of another person, we say things like, I'm sure they meant well. Or it it can't be that bad. And as Pastor Ortland summarized, when you're sitting with the sufferer, don't minimize the sin that contributed to their suffering. An honest acknowledgement of evil without excuses or evasions will be to their pain like water to a parched man. Friends, we shouldn't minimize the pain or the hurt that somebody's feeling. We should speak truly and let them hurt fully, trusting that the healing of Jesus Christ is enough to heal any pain and any hurt. And though there's so much more we could say, finally, I'll leave you with this. Friends, let them tell their own story. Let them tell their own story and keep your stories to yourself, at least at first. You know, especially keep to yourself that story about your Aunt Sally or your brother's friend or your former roommate. You know, your own story or the stories of those you know may bear similarities, but it's not the story of the person who suffers. Friends, it's time when somebody's suffering for their story, not for your story. There was a priest and author by the name of Henry Nowen who wrote about the three movements of the spiritual life. And he said, our movement towards one another is the move from hostility towards hospitality. And he said, for us to convert hostility to hospitality requires the creation of a a safe and an empty space for the other person. But you see, our problem is, we tend to fill any empty space that we create. And now it says, hosts often feel they have to talk all the time to their guests and entertain them with things to do or places to see and people to visit. But by filling up every empty corner and occupying every empty time, their hospitality becomes more oppressive than revealing. Friends, don't fill up every corner or space with your story or the story of others, as helpful as those stories might be. Create a safe space where the one suffering can disclose as much or as little of his or her story when and how he or she is ready. Listen to this instructive account from a man who lost his own child. This man lost his own child and talks about the the comfort that he received. He says, I was sitting, torn by grief, and someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly, and he said things I knew were true. And I was unmoved, except to wish he would go away. 
he finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more. He listened when I said something. He answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Friends, that's how we comfort one another. As the Apostle Paul commanded in Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We cannot solve somebody else's pain, but we might sit with them in that pain. And in doing so, friends, we can be to them the very presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of their pain. Because we have a God who meets us in our pain. And one day, our hope is that He will wipe every tear from every eye and pain and suffering will be gone. And friends, until that day, until that day when He wipes away our pain and our tears, He sustains us. He sustains us with His presence. And we're coming to the table in just a little while to remember that sustaining presence. Did you happen to notice the final verse in today's passage that Scott read for us? Mark Chapter 5, verse 43, it says, And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give the girl something to eat. Give her something to eat. A very practical instruction. Facing death is fearful and difficult work. So eat something and be strengthened. And friends, we turn now to the meal that Christ has prepared for us. A meal that strengthens us as we face the reality of suffering and death, a meal that reminds us of Christ's presence with us in the midst of suffering, a meal that anticipates that great meal that we will one day eat with Him. For friends, the Gospel is that Jesus Christ will return and there will be a great feast described as the wedding feast of the Lamb. And this meal that we're about to share anticipates that eternal feast. And friends, our hope, our hope is that at that feast, when all things are made new, when all of those who are called by Christ sit around the table, we will be there feasting at the table. We will feast with one another. And also sitting at the table with us will be Dorothy. Eternally new. Feasting with us. Friends, as the psalmist has said, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes with the morning. So we may come with weeping to this table today. But we anticipate that day and that table and the eternal joy that will be there. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for this table that you've prepared for us. And Father, we come to the table today weeping. Though we know that weeping will only last for a night, it's very real now and it hurts. So Lord, meet us at the table. Meet us in our weeping. And remind us. Remind us again of the joy that will come in the morning. When a new day dawns, when eternity breaks, and when all things are made new. Father, meet us in our morning. And fill us with your hope. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If the elders would come forward for the serving of communion.